and welcome to our video today which is going to be on DBS checks. Um, I'm Andrew Guy, I'm a director and a solicitor here at GNL and with me is... I'm Luke Cowles, I'm a solicitor in the Police Actions Department. So today um, for this video, the purpose of the video is to give um, a bit of a ground, sort of groundwork or lay the, the groundwork for people to hopefully understand by watching the video the basics about DBS checks, how they work, the sort of issues that come up. Um, quite often we have clients who approach us and um, they've had a DBS check done on them uh, and somewhat to their shock uh, and horror things are coming up on that DBS check they knew nothing about, allegations made against them in the past that were never actually put to them and things like this. Um, sometimes it's not a question of um, surprise allegations coming up on DBS checks, sometimes it's all about um, things more along the lines of accuracy of uh, yeah accuracy of, of what of what's on there. So we're gonna look at both of those things. So hopefully in watching this video you'll get a good idea about those sorts of um, different aspects of the problems that can come up on the checks uh, and what can be done about it. Okay so um, I'm gonna hand over to Luke now who's gonna take us through some of the basics um, and then you can listen to us discussing it and hopefully it'll be helpful. So firstly I mean you know we've been discussing I mean largely there's, there's three types of checks, albeit two of them are sort of subcategories of each other. The first one is a standard check, and we won't talk about that too much today because generally that's not where problems come about. But effectively, a standard check, what it will have on it is a, it will show your convictions, that's spent and unspent convictions, it'll have cautions, reprimands, final warnings. So anything where there's been some finality where you've actually been convicted in this respect. Um, it's the enhanced checks where a lot of the case law that we're going to be looking at and of course we've looked at already, that's where a lot of the problems come because it takes all the information from the standard check but then in addition it has what's called soft intelligence. Now it's a little bit of jargon, what that effectively means is allegations. So in certain types of jobs, allegations obviously are quite a problem and we've got some cases which we'll look at where it involves nurses, teachers mm. uh, and effectively sometimes what can happen is that an allegation is made against you but the police never actually interview you about it, they never actually uh, decide to take it further but it gets put onto a, a, a local sort of register, a local force register uh, and then when you apply for your DBS check effectively um, up it pops under sort of a category of other information, other relevant information, uh, and you can imagine the sort of fright it gives you when you see something that you perhaps never knew of, or perhaps because you never had the opportunity to challenge it, the way it's worded is quite inaccurate to what actually happened. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's helpful. You mentioned spent convictions. I mean, that those are just convictions which are more than ten years old, if I remember right. I mean, yes. Generally, I mean, there's there's sort of time levels of. of when, when they basically count as uh, not being relevant for the purposes of certain checks, exactly. Um, but yes, I mean, we've got the, the DBS. I mean, it, it's changed its name. It, it's all gone by the kind It used to be the CRB. Most yeah, exactly. people, there's lots of people that still think of it as, as actually being CRB checks, the Criminal Records Bureau, but now it's, uh, it's changed to the, um, the DBS. What does DBS stand for? Um, I mean, it stands for Disclosure and Borrowing Service. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an amalgamation and that's effectively the, the what is used now or what you apply to. Uh, and they're the ones who actually uh, give you the certificate you're wanting. So if, if, um, if somebody has a DBS check done, they've gone for a, uh, a job as a carer or a teacher or a nurse or something where, where obviously a DBS check is going to be done, 
um, something comes back on it which is uh, which they're not happy with in terms of accuracy or the fact that it's there at all or it's incredibly prejudicial and they say it simply isn't true if it's an allegation. What, what are the procedures that, that now can be gone through? What, 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 what um, options are open to somebody in that situation in terms of trying to challenge what's on that form? Yeah, sure. I mean, as, as you said, I mean, what will happen is, yes, you, you apply for a job, that employer will go to the DBS, yeah. and the DBS will supply a certificate. Now, part and parcel of that, depending on whether it's this standard or enhanced check, and we'll deal with enhanced checks where there's a bit more to it. So they will, the DBS will go and speak to the local force. So if you're in London, that's the Metropolitan Police, and they will check local records, and they will give a draft report back or a draft certificate back and, and you will see that draft and of course if there's something there that you want to challenge what you would initially do is challenge it with the police force directly i.e. you put representations forward why you think it's inaccurate or, or why you think it shouldn't be there or why you think it isn't relevant the police force then of course have the choice to make an amendment or, or get rid of it altogether if they agree uh, and if so, sorry can I just pause there so if, are you saying there's, there's a there's a stage now where people who, who, who've got an issue with, with what um, is going to be on their form have an, have, an, have, a, have an opportunity to actually argue about it and perhaps get it taken off or amended before the employer actually receives the certificate. Um, I mean, certainly you, you can challenge it beforehand because obviously, you know, once it's known, it's known. It's, it's almost too late and what gets changed afterwards is, is fundamentally irrelevant. Mm. Um, Certainly, what would happen is, as we said, the police will will make their opinion as to whether they think it either is relevant or whether it ought to be included for another reason. And if, after that, the police still don't, say, agree with you, they won't get rid of it, they won't amend it the way you want, then at that point you would have to appeal to what's called the independent monitor. And, okay. and they're a sort of separate group that they're independent by the nature of the name. Uh, and they will conduct a very similar review. So what they will do is they will they will take the case on. They'll go back to the police force, ask them the same questions. And uh, I'm just going to read from my notes here. I mean, it's the, the IM or the Independent Monitors Review Power from Section 117, Capital A Police Act. Basically, what they will ask the chief officer is: one, do they reasonably believe the information to be relevant? So do, does the chief officer believe this information to be relevant? Secondly, ought it to be included in the certificate? So the, the independent monitor will get those questions or the answers from the police and then they will conduct their own review about it and decide, well, is the opinion of the chief officer a, a correct one? Um, and certainly at that point, that's where the independent monitor will then put their review forward as to whether it should effectively stay or not stay. I mean, yeah. that's, that's effectively what they're deciding in the end. Yeah. Okay, by the way, um, just, just to pause there, the, the, the notes that we have here that um, I'm glancing at and Luke is reading from are available in full on our YouTube channel. Um, so if you're watching this directly via our YouTube channel, you should be able to find those below um, the video. So if you want to have a look at those while watching the video, you'll be able to follow what we're following, which might be um, uh, quite helpful. But, but yes, I mean, as we said, I mean, so the, the independent monitor, they will make that opinion, they will then go back to the DBS, tell the DBS what their view is, and then the DBS have 
would, would then basically supply a new certificate. Hopefully, you know, in this, you know, if all goes well, either it's completely deleted, perhaps the allegation you're, you're arguing over, uh, and then, so from what was the original draft, you've now got a final certificate served on you that, that, that basically has that allegation taken away. Um, I mean, largely the difficulty is, is when it says, I mean, with the test, which actually says, do you reasonably believe it's relevant, or do you think it ought to be included? That just tells you what questions to ask. It doesn't give you an idea as to where, what, the, where the balance is. Yeah, what, what, what balance Or what is. the threshold is, what is or is not relevant. Exactly, what factors to think about yeah. to sort of, in that sort of melting pot idea of how do you come to the conclusion that, yes, it ought to be relevant. Yeah. Uh, and that's where it causes a lot of problems, and that's, you know, there's quite a lot of case law that basically has dealt with this, this question. Um, and certainly one of the first cases we're looking at is, is a platform case. It's, it's R on the application of L, the, uh, the Commissioner of the Metro well, Commissioner of Police of the Metropolis. It's a 2009 case. It's actually before the current mechanism existed. So certainly um, how it worked was not based on the current form. No, but the balancing act that the Supreme Court applied at that time is, is analogous to, Absolutely. To, to the balancing act. Uh, uh, and that the, no doubt. Monitor. What came from this is what effectively made the current system. Okay. Um, you know the sort of um, you know how the Supreme Court felt it should be dealt with, mm. um, and and of course because it's a Supreme Court case, it has that much more gravitas in terms of the actual um, issues that came out of it. I mean, in terms of the facts, you've got L. She's the appellant. Uh, she's the mother of of X, and X had been living with her with his father. Uh, and at that time, this is in early 2002, uh, a child protection conference happens. But of course, he's, Charles was living with the father at the time. But the, but the issue was, after this conference, X is placed on a child protection register under the category of neglect. So certainly, uh, you know, it's, it's quite uh, serious in that respect. Yeah. But what what came out of this conference is it, it was deemed that L, so that's the mother, had very little control over her, her child's behaviour, uh, which included poor attendance at school uh, as well as you know poor behaviour. Um, and generally, the concerns were raised. Um, certainly, you know I'm not going to go into it too much, but there were issues as to what's her fault, what's other people's fault. Um, but one of them, and just looking at my notes, it, you know it said concerns were raised in regards to X's exposure to drugs, which largely stemmed from X, the son, spending time with his older sister. Okay. Now, the issue comes up when um, L, um, who had been employed as a midday assistant already um, in 2004, she, she applies for a police check, um, and effectively, this information about X being you know, on the child uh, protection register comes up under other relevant information. Right. Now, he'd actually, by this point, by the time the check is done, he actually wasn't on the child protection register anymore uh, because, in sort of the, the year prior, he'd been put into a, a youth offenders institute and th there wasn't need for him to be on the register since he's actually in custody and not in the community anymore. Um, but certainly, you know, of course, no convictions, but you know, given what it said about the Child Protection Conference, it, effectively her agency said, you know, you can't work for us anymore. So, grave consequences. Yeah. Uh, and the balance here is about 
her Article 8 rights, and Article 8 is about her, her private life, and certainly her career is, is a huge part of people's private life, or her working life, her job, and the skill set that she has. So that is that balance of what she has versus potential victims or vulnerable people, and which one do you give precedence to? Is one right more important than the other? Yeah. And so effectively, yes, the appeal was actually dismissed, um, and they looked at the statutory questions at the time, one, relevance, and two, whether it ought to be included, but it, I mean, without going into too much detail, in the end it was actually held that the issue, it, it, it was relevant. You're, as part of your job as a midday assistant, you're, you're inherently um, responsible for the safety of children. Yeah, a midday assistant at a school. Yes, as, well, as, exactly. As clarify. Yeah, yes, so she's no, working no. with children. Exactly, um, and, and so it's different if it was about something completely different, but it's still about children. And certainly, schools are going to be in a position where they're going to find it very difficult to take risks because yeah, well, they're going to get themselves yeah, in trouble. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but yes, I mean, effectively, looking at this balance, what, what comes out of the case more than anything is looking about which one do we care about more? The article 8 rights of the individual or, or the rights of vulnerable people and what it, what it actually decided in the end is that these competing interests should be given equal weight. Um, prior to that, um, often the weight was put more in favour of vulnerable individuals and I think normally perhaps our gut reaction is to think well actually look for the greater good you should be putting the balance in favour of, of vulnerable people because You've got one person's right versus a whole class of different people. Yeah. But um, it ensures, and, and this Supreme Court decision made sure that you know the legal test going forward in terms of how it's applied, that's just not the way it can be. Um, and it looked at two factors in terms of the melting pot of how you determine whether it's relevant, whether it ought to be included. Mm. One is the gravity of the actual allegation, yeah. um, i.e. how serious it was. Uh, and secondly, the reliability of it. And reliability was less of a problem in this case, but certainly in some of the cases we'll look at in a few minutes, reliability does become a problem. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that, that's certainly been my experience over the years as, I, as I've dealt with these things, is, is that if you're not actually disputing the accuracy of the, the evidence or, or the accuracy of the allegation against you, the client is simply saying, well, I don't think you should be there, or it was a long time ago, then that's not a particularly strong case. I mean, if you do actually have a strong argument that, A, it's incredibly prejudicial, um, whatever it might be, but it also, if you have some, some decent evidence to, to, to support um, your point of view that the evidence is just not reliable, then you've got a far better chance of swaying the sympathy of, of anyone taking a decision, be it the court or be it the, now the monitor. Um, in terms of saying, well, you know, the balance is in your favour and, and, you know, it is potentially unreliable, highly prejudicial and therefore shouldn't go in. Um, so, are you going to move on to another Yes, case exactly. I think the, the one we've 
already looked at is is a, a lot more recent case. It's uh, 2016. Okay. Is this, is this another? Is this a winner or is this another loser? He's actually a winner. Okay. It's good. Uh, some uh, I think it's, happy news. I think it's actually April 2016. So okay. very recent. Yeah. And, and you've got um, the individual MS. He was a licensed happy taxi driver. Okay. And I can't remember exactly how long later, but it's something like 14 years later he reapplies for his license. Uh, and having had it revoked in 2001, he reapplies, and, oh, and, and part and parcel of it, the, the way you go and get it is you, you can need an enhanced certificate. So, um, of course, this is administered by the DBS, uh, and they sought assistance from the Metropolitan Police. Um, and so he gets his draft back, um, and, and the issue in, ca in this case is on there, and, and I'm just going to look here, there's, there was five historical allegations one had actually resulted in a charge, but in any event, that one had been dropped by the CPS before trial, so that means the other four never even got charged. Okay. And so MS sought to challenge it with the police directly. The police made some minor alterations, but MS was still not happy with this. Now, as you can imagine, if we take a stop here, you know, why does he care? If that stays, he's not getting his license. He's not getting his license, but he can't work. So yeah. the equivalent loss it's huge. Perhaps if he was going to get his license anyway, maybe this challenge never happens. But the gravity to him is huge. So MS has to challenge it further to the independent monitor um, because the police just aren't playing ball with what he wants to happen. Uh, and the independent monitor take the case on, they, they ask the sort of statutory questions. But the issue here, of course, is the independent monitor actually take one week for their whole review. So you can imagine, you know, day one, you receive some paperwork, day seven, you, you've done everything. You've, you've written the report, you've made your opinion already. Now, mm. certainly you're not saying that it's not possible, but it, it certainly looks on the face of it, 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 it doesn't, it well, doesn't feel sort of confidence. just rubber stamps it and Absolutely. not giving it proper consideration, yeah. Exactly. So you've got, again, the Article 8 rights of MS, you know, his private life um, and his desire to want to be uh, uh, yep. get his license back and then you've got the rights of the vulnerable people using taxis um, and perhaps certainly if, if later on say something had happened and they found out that actually people licensing taxis knew about this I'm, I'm sure they'd get in trouble as well so there's, there's that balance here but of course it does reference the original 2009 case making sure that, that the balance of those competing rights is gravity and reliability. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, and that you don't give precedence to one or the other. Now, when it, this is where certainly gravity and reliability, as you said, come into play. The reliability issue is, you know, he he actually didn't even know about these. But certainly knew about the one that he was charged with, but certainly some of them, they're one very historical, but certain ones he just didn't know about and. Later on, I think certainly there was one particular issue where uh, there was CCTV, but he he basically said in the CCTV it's it's a it shows a, a cab that basically was a totally different shape to his, uh, and so there's clear issues as to whether it was ever him in the first place. Yeah. So looking at the gravity and reliability question, absolutely, you've got some real reliability issues, and and so I think. You know, looking at it for myself, it, you've got this idea of no smoke without fire, i.e. 
especially when you've got five allegations, you know, perhaps if it's one, it's a lot easier to deal with. When it sort of appears to be a, and, and I don't want to use the word offence because it isn't actually an offence, he wasn't actually convicted, but when it seems a repeated problem, you know, you've got this idea, Robert, that can get in people's head that, well, he must have done something. I mean, you can't happen. You can't get that many allegations. No, but, no, no, I think the suspicion is that that was sort of the mentality of the independent monitor. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and, you know, you're looking at someone's, his personal career, you've also got social stigma on top of it, you know, which in this case perhaps is not so bad, but, but certainly, I can imagine for him personally, of course it is. I mean, I think some of them were, were looking at potential sexual allegations as well, which, you know, heightens the sort of allegations that you're being accused of. Uh, and I can get held for life effectively on your, you know, enhanced check. And certainly, if you if you're innocent, it's going to be quite distressing. And, and we can, you know, we can certainly understand his position. Um, looking at how it's actually held once it moved forward, it, it's a, the, the court actually agreed that it wasn't the IM's role to to reinvestigate the whole thing from the start. They're not investigators. Their job is to review. Uh, much like, for example, the IPCC review uh, a, an existing complaint report, they don't necessarily reinvestigate the whole thing again. And uh, although certainly that bit was already known, it had to be made quite clear to the individual that this was the case. Um, but criticism was given to the independent monitor. Now, of course, the thing to remember is this is actually a judicial review, this isn't a civil suit. So. They're judicially reviewing the decision by the independent monitor, saying that actually your decision is effectively irrational, um, and certainly, you know, when it when it's held, the actual judge makes reference to this one week to to make the review, saying that it, it really doesn't look good that you've only taken one week. Um, it says that in terms of the review that you're or that the independent monitor was due in terms of what the statute, they weren't convinced that actually they've carried out their duty properly. Um, certainly, they weren't going to comment as to whether it should or should not remain, because no, they that's just, they not just their looked, job. No, that's right. They, exactly. just looked, they just looked at the procedure and said that... Um, exactly. And it meant the independent monitor yeah. has to conduct a second review. And, and so it may be that actually... The second review goes ahead, we'll and it's the same as anyway. Yeah. But for justice to be seen to happen, you need to make sure the procedures are followed properly, uh, and that was clearly a problem here in terms of that sort of procedure of what the review is supposed to be, or this statutory review by the independent monitor. But but yes, I mean he, he effectively gets what he wants, and he gets that second review, uh, and and so he wins in that case. The the, the you know he gets his um judicial review upheld in that respect. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, some of the other bits we've looked at, I mean, you've got key jobs which, more than anything, can be quite affected by this. I mean, certain jobs we've got, we've looked at some cases of nurses and teachers. They, they seem to come up a lot in the case law, don't they? I mean, nurses and teachers do seem to get more sympathy from the courts uh, in terms of these cases. Um, being successful or challenging whether or not you know, um, certain information should be on uh, the old CRB and now DBS checks at all. I mean, certainly over the years, since I've done a number of these, um, 
the vast majority of cases that actually go through the courts and get reported, they're probably sort of like 70-80% losers, aren't they? Well, it's actually quite rare to, to, to find a winning case where the balance is in favour of the person having that information not disclosed to an employer. And I think certainly what's helped is if you take the case of L, which is a super, you know, the Supreme Court decision saying that balance has to be even between the Article 8 rights but it mean, and the rights of the victim. But it means before 2009, there, are, there has been cases that I've read where clearly the balance is in favour against the individual yeah. and it puts them on the back foot. So hopefully, it's been six years since the 2009 decision, but hopefully that does sort of redirect people to actually have a better chance. Yeah. So if you're watching this video, um, if you go to the left, uh, towards the bottom of our notes um, under the subtitle Nurses and Teachers, there are some, some further case examples which, um, which you can read and have a look at. Um, but hopefully this video has been helpful in setting out how you know the independent monitor works and how these sort the sort of tests and the legal tests that are placed upon the information that should or shouldn't be on the certificates and how you go about uh, challenging it. So do read the notes. Um, if you have any other queries um, about this area of law that you think we might be able to helpfully um, answer or, for you or, or help you with, then please do give us a call or email myself and Luke and we'll be only too happy um, to see if we can answer that question or query for you. Thanks very much. Thanks for watching. This video is designed to be a brief introduction to the topic that it covers, and we hope you found it useful. It aims to be informative and to assist people to take the next step in solving the legal problem that they may have. This video does not constitute legal advice and does not seek to solve specific legal issues. If you have a specific legal problem that you need solved, you should take expert legal advice from a solicitor.